You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. In this very special episode, I had the honor of speaking with Cindy Haas, the VP of Communications and Corporate Social Responsibility for Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. Cindy graciously shares her unique journey, providing insights into her professional path and personal milestones. Join us as we explore topics ranging from the significance of workplace representation to navigating the nuances of motherhood and menopause. Cindy, a seasoned communications pro, shares her heartfelt wisdom on effective communications approaches. This episode is a genuine conversation that goes beyond the professional sphere offering a glimpse into what makes Cindy Haas an extraordinary leader and individual. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite cocktail and enjoy the show. Cindy, welcome to Served Up. It is such a pleasure to have you on today's show. Thank you, Bridget. This is really fun. A great way to start the week. It sure is. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your background, and how did you become the communications expert that you are today? Well, it's a long, boring story. (laughs) Um, So I'm currently the vice president of communications and corporate social responsibility at Southern Glazers. And I've been here for seven and a half years, which is kind of unbelievable. I have been in the communications world my whole career. Uh, When I was in college, I wanted to be like a journalist or an advertising copywriter. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be in the world of communications. And it kind of took a number of twists and turns um, on the way to the current job that I have. Uh, But I have done, you know, everything from marketing and marketing communications, working for an industrial label manufacturer. Um, working for big uh, industrial manufacturers and and, um, doing, you know, internal communications. I've worked at Sunglass Hut doing employee communications and financial investor relations. Uh, Worked at Ryder doing both internal and external communications crisis, uh, supporting financial communications, community relations. And that all kind of led to me being able to take on this role where I get to do basically a little bit of everything that you could possibly do in the discipline of communications, with the exception of the investor relations, because we're privately held. So um, always loved the communications field, but done it in a lot of different places. Can you give an example of what your day-to-day looks like? Well, it's different every day. Like today is a perfect example. What's so fun about what our function does here for Southern is we do wear so many hats. On the communication side, you know, doing both internal and external. So 
on, you know, any given day, I might be working on a message from our leadership team to employees, uh, working on a really cool technology project to improve the infrastructure we have here to be able to reach all of our 24,000 employees, then jumping over to social media and working with the team on brands that we're promoting, or maybe getting a celebrity to do something fun for us on social, and then going back to the corporate website and doing, you know, digital strategy and content, you know, content marketing, and then being able to work with you, Bridget, and you know, doing cool events for the trade. You know, I had a meeting this morning talking about Tales of the Cocktail. Um, you know, and some of those great things that we did this year. So it's really all over the place. And I move in and out of all of those functions, usually all day long. So it's very um, stimulating for me personally. Has that always been the case with your past careers? Yes and no. I mean, uh, probably in marketing, when I did marketing communications, it was a little more structured because you had programs you were delivering on and deadlines that kind of repeated over and over again. Really, when I got into internal communications and even more so with PR, um, you know, public relations, your day is not your own because you're there to serve the media. And, you know, you might be proactively pitching something and trying to get a message out there. But, you know, before you know, it, you've got a reporter reaching out on deadline and that knocks your whole day into a different direction because um, you're kind of at the the beck and call of those reporters who you're trying to serve. Um Internal communications too can be kind of crazy where you come in and you have a few assignments or some, you know, intranet posts you're editing or messages you're writing or scripts for videos. And then again, you know, something can happen that there is an organizational change and there's time sensitivity around on it. And all of a sudden you're pulled off what you thought you were going to work on. So I come in every day with a to-do list, but I'm more than used to getting through maybe only part of it and having to add and, you know, adjust and and flip to whatever the day brings. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it is always fresh and new every single day for sure. Can you talk about some of the challenges that maybe you faced early on in your career or currently um, face and how you've overcome those challenges? Yeah, I mean, it took me a while. Like I think most people, it took me a while to even find the right job in terms of the type of work I was you know, looking for. And, you know, when you're 21, 22 coming out of school, what you think you want to do is not always the same as what you end up doing because you haven't had that experience. So, you know, at the beginning, uh, thinking that I wanted to work in marketing, um, but not really sure exactly what that meant. You know, I took a job um, writing copy and selling advertising for a radio station outside of Chicago, actually called WABT, The Wabbit. <laughs> that lasted for six weeks because it was a bit of a nightmare. And and not only did I realize right away that I do not like selling things, um, but the station was uh, financially going under and I overheard them talking about not making payroll. So I'm like, I need to find a new job. Um, you know, and then... My next job after that was, I, I think I talked to you about this recently, was working for an industrial label manufacturer. And it was a it was a marketing job. And I thought, okay, this actually says marketing on the job. This will be fun. And it turned out to be more market research and sales support. And I literally like would wait for a salesperson to call me and say that they had a customer that manufactures PVC pipes. And could I go work with the R&D department to figure out what sticks to a PVC pipe? And, you know, I'm like, well, this is, this is not what I, <laughs> this is not what I thought. 
And um, actually, at that job was the first time I experienced horrendous sexual discrimination. Um, and so one, I'm already doing a job that I don't like. And then I'm trying to navigate, you know, at 22 years old, you know, why are men in the office talking about what I'm wearing? Like, I, I never had experienced anything like that before. And it was, you know, pretty horrendous. Um, I did end up moving after that job, working for another big manufacturing company. And that's kind of the first place where I was introduced to marketing communications and internal communications. And I really thought like a light bulb went on. This is, this is what I like. It's writing and it's producing communications materials and learning about design and editorial. And, and that was really a fantastic experience. And I had a really wonderful uh, female boss at that company who mentored me. But then I also experienced um, not only sexual discrimination, but sexual harassment that was so disturbing. I was going home crying every day. And, you know, it was, you know, something that I tried to deal with. I had great support from my boss, but just over time, it really soured. That experience was just a shame because I actually liked the job and the work. Um, and so I, I left, you know, that organization. Um, and I think that was probably the last time I had really any like very, you know, serious types of uh, bad behavior happening either, you know, around me or directed at me. Um, so I feel very lucky from that standpoint that I I got that that over with when I was young. Um, and, you know, for the rest of my career, it was really more around figuring out what pieces of communications I liked as I got exposed to other things. So like when I worked at Sunglass Hut, for example, which was a really fun experience, um, I was doing employee communications, but there was a, 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 a bit of a reorg. And all of a sudden, I was reporting to the CFO. And he was asking me to get on calls with analysts. And I am like not a financial person, I could balance my checkbook, that is about as far as I could get, but had to kind of figure out how to make that work. Um, and that opened up a whole world to me to PR and understanding investor relations and things like that. So I, when I talk to young people, which I do from time to time, you know, at universities about, about career paths, um, e definitely every job I've ever had has set me up for some success in the next job. So, um, you know, I know that's a long answer, but th those were some of the challenges I had at the beginning. I want to go back to some of those challenges because I think it was women that we can all relate. And even as, you know, as a human beings, we can relate to some of the things that you mentioned. And one of those is sexual harassment in the workplace. And I do want to spend a little bit of time on this because um, I too have um, experienced this throughout my career early on and, and through Midway. And, and, you know, it's not fun. And a lot of times you don't feel um, empowered, right? to have a voice within that situation. And one things that you one thing that you just said was that you had a female boss that really helped you to navigate through that. Um I can share with you that when I went through something similar, you know, sexual harassment, that what my boss told me at the time was that I needed to protect the upper management, protect wow, that male and because it was going to put me in a really bad situation where I would be victimized in a way that would be abusive within the right. system. And that's what I was told. And I actually developed post-traumatic stress and had to go to therapy because right. of it. So my question to you is because I think that there's a lot of listeners that are very 
interested in this topic is what advice were you given that helped you get through that? Perhaps advice I wasn't given and had to seek medical help for. Right. Well, first, my boss, who was also like a really amazing woman, recognized that I was raw. Right. So I think, you know, that helped me realize I wasn't crazy because some days I did go home and, you know, talk to my ex-husband and think like, wow, am I, am I dressing provocatively? Like I never, that was nothing I ever thought, but I, I started questioning my own, like, how was I bringing it on myself? So just the fact that she was, you know, telling me this is disgusting. And also I had a male colleague who was very supportive and said it was disgusting. So I think having someone recognize that helped me recognize that it was actually inappropriate. It was not something that I was doing, you know, was good. Um, she, on my behalf, went to human resources, right, and tried to raise the issue. Um, at, at that particular organization, human resources wasn't really supportive. I think they were more about protecting the executives because they were fairly senior executives that were involved, um, which is why I eventually left because, uh, you know, there was just like, there's no point in sitting there and allowing yourself to take abuse at a place where they're not going to, you know, there's not going to be some sort of change. So, and some of the sexual harassment and discrimination that was happening at that particular organization was not always to my face. Um, It was in other rooms, people talking about me and then getting it back to me. So that was really difficult too, because it was almost like a secret that only a few of us knew about. And so it was very easy to cover up. There wasn't anything that I could do in my own behavior. Like I was, no one said something to me directly where I would have the opportunity to either shrink away or defend myself, right? It was all happening in places where I couldn't even defend myself. Uh, But I think, you know, at least having a, a boss who made me realize that that behavior was wrong, it wasn't anything that I was doing, was probably the first and most important step. Yeah, that's, I'm so glad that you had that support. And that's absolutely amazing. I mean, I can share just a quick story. And I think I've shared this with you before, Mm -hmm. like when my mother worked for Argonne National Laboratory, really as a secretary during that time, and she was harassed horribly. And she was actually asked to quit when she was pregnant with me. And she said, you know, screw that. So rather than having a baby shower, or <laughs> I was going to be born, all the ladies went out and burned their bras, you know? Oh so That's you awesome. know, we've been fighting this fight for a really long time. So it's yeah. really good to hear. And I think it's important that we give advice when we can. And with that said, in your view, why is it important to have representation at the higher levels of leadership in a company? You know, why is it important to have women at the table? I know that diversity, equity, and inclusion is really important to you. Cindy, you know, as a leader, but also as this amazing human being as you are. So just would like to hear from, you know, why is that important, especially in today's society? Yeah, well, you know, I even you see some of these commercials and I don't know what brands they're for, but like where a little girl is watching an ice skater who's the same race as she is, right? And it's the first time it opens up her eyes that she could be that thing or an astronaut or a doctor or whatever. And, you know, so just from a very basic standpoint, right? If you see somebody that's like you in some way in a role that's well beyond where you are, you think, well, God, like if she can do it, there's room for me there too. So that's great. Um, you know, and also everyone's experiences are different. 
Um, you know, women bring, I think, really unique things uh, to the workplace, whether it's um, empathy or great listening or, you know, all the things that 8 million studies will tell you over and over again. Um, and so I, it's important that you have not only women in, in leadership positions, but obviously all that representation. It's for the people several layers below, right? For them to see that it's possible for them to get guidance on, you know, what they could do to get to that place and to have somebody just kind of know what you've been through, I think is just really important. It's just very basic, you know? It is. It's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Right? I mean, we definitely have to be to you and me, it is for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is. Um, I just want to uh, shift a little bit here and talk about, because you know, we talked about some of the struggles that you had in your career and how you overcame them. Let's talk about some of those successes that you've had, some of those mm-hmm. really fun projects, whether they were from the past, you know, all the way to the present that you're really proud of. Um, you know, it's, we used to, every once in a while, I would have something that I would say, this goes on the refrigerator. Like, you know, when you're little and your parents, like you bring home something that you've drawn and they, they stick it on the refrigerator with a magnet. So I always had, you know, was happy when I had like a refrigerator moment, um, when I was proud of something. I mean, you know, I'm, I like little wins. It doesn't have to be really big. You know, the first time I produced a printed newsletter back a hundred years ago when people did that, right? Like you could hold something in your hand um, was really exciting. You know, the first time I wrote a byline to article on behalf of an, of an executive that showed up in a publication, even though my name was nowhere on it, right? I'm like, this is so cool. I did this. Those are my words. I had a really fun experience when I worked for a PR agency you know, getting brands, you know, named in, in different national media outlets and, and working with like a today show or working with USA today and, and doing events, those things were always really fun for me. Um, and since I've been at Southern, you know, I've had, I think a a million little proud moments are when I joined the company, I was a department of one person. Um, and, uh, just the fact that now we have nine people and we've got all these great responsibilities and, and, you know, working for Lee Schrager, who's incredible and such a creative person and getting to do things at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival or the New York Wine and Food Festival, just, just a world of things that I never had been exposed to before. So to me, every day is fun, but I don't have like these like giant, you know, life changing experiences, launching a website for me was fun. You know, going to uh, Tales of the Cocktail was fun. Some of those things are things people just do every day. But when I get to do something new for me, that's what keeps it exciting. And that's why kind of every year I'm always, I always have like one eyeball kind of looking around like, is there something that we haven't done before that we can do this year? It doesn't mean it's never been done before in the world, but maybe I haven't done it or it hasn't been done at Southern. And that kind of stuff gets me super, super excited. You are incredibly creative. I think that's one of the more exciting things, you know, to be part of your team is that our leader is very creative and has this really infectious like spark in her. So can you talk (laughs) about, you know, really what it looks behind the scenes in the festivals? that you're really, you know, you're curating the content for social media and you have a whole team out there just doing some really fun, cool work. And I think this is important for our listeners to understand because when we talk about like communications, 
and marketing, they might not even realize that this is part of that world. Right, right. Well, I can't take credit for anything that good that happens on social media because our team, Sophia and Anna and Madison um, and you as well with Served Up um, are so amazing. And it is a place we can be super creative because a lot of when you work in corporate communications, a lot of it is just very strategic. It's business communications. Social, you can be a little more fun. And just because the industry we're in, wine and spirits, is like so much fun. I mean, I've done social media to other companies that were more kind of B2B and it's a little less exciting. The fact that we get to talk about, you know, enjoying great beverages just lends itself to being, to being fun and. And having Lee also is just, he's an incredibly fun person. So he encourages us to do that. Um, at the festivals, what was interesting is, you know, our team doesn't do PR or communications for the festivals. There's an incredibly uh, talented separate team um, that works for Lee that makes all of that incredible stuff happen. When I first joined the company, you know, Southern Glazers was the exclusive wine and spirits provider. And really was kind of quietly behind the scenes of the festivals. Maybe you saw the Southern Glazers logo on a banner somewhere, but they didn't really talk about it. And, and Lee and I talked and I said, wow, we should really let people know like why we're a part of this and what our role is. It's a great marketing opportunity for the brands that are in our portfolio to, you know, be in front of consumers and, and the trade. And so I said, would it be okay? Could we just go, you know, and at that point I had one other person working for me. Um, I said, could we go and just kind of showcase our brands and, and what Southern Glazer's role is at the festival on social media? And he was completely amenable to it. And I think the first year we did that maybe was in, it was either 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. And me and and my uh, my colleague um, at the time, you know, ran around ran around South Beach with our hair on fire, you know, trying to sort of show what it meant to be Southern Glazers at the festival, and also to to promote and and recognize the great charitable work that gets done. Um, and it was really really fun, and it was just an experiment. We didn't know would anybody care? Would people think we were just out there having a good time? And you know wasting time, but uh, we ended up getting great results on on our social media platforms. And that's something I'm crazy about is we measure everything we do um, because we want to show the value. So we actually got great results on social media. And since that year, we've gone back every year, not only to South Beach, but the New York Wine and Food Festival. And we've kind of expanded what we do on social media, where it used to be just running around taking pictures of people, you know, pouring drinks. Now we've incorporated supplier interviews and sometimes celebrity interviews and really showcasing the volunteers that support and the charities that support. And then we brought a video team down and we're producing videos to show Southern's involvement. So that's been like a really fun program that now it's just like part of what we do every year. We know, you know, January comes, we're getting our schedule together and we have it down to a science, but it started out as just kind of a wacky idea, um, you know, that ended up working out. I love that. You know, something about communications and marketing really reminds me of being on a stage. I feel like it's like the stage, you know, it really sets the act. It sets the the face for the company or for the person, whatever it might be that you're out there promoting and trying to get the good messaging out. And I know that you have a background in theater. And I do want to talk (laughs) just a little bit about that, Cindy. Sure. 
Because I want to know, you know, is that what really gave you the fire and the desire and the passion to pursue communication? Because you already had that love for theater, for singing. And for those of you that don't know, Cindy's got a great voice. So, <laughs> And we'll not be singing on this podcast today. <laughs> well, we'll see, but yeah. you know, that's well, fine. But let's take it back to there, you know, and sure. really, and um, your your passion for music and just really the joy and the vibrancy that music performance setting the stage brings to life and to business. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you were just setting that up and I actually didn't realize you were going there, but I was thinking like when you were saying communications is you're kind of the face of a company. And I was like, it's so funny that I'm in that position because I was such an introverted wallflower doormat when I was, when I was younger. Um, but, uh, you know, being in like choir, I was always in choir or something like that. I didn't really feel like I was on a stage when I was in choir because it was me, you know, within a sea of other people. So I didn't really feel like it was a spotlight. I just liked to sing and I just liked being in, in our little, you know, middle school choir. And that was fun. Um, but that's where I started, you know, and then I loved, I happened to love Broadway music. And that's when I started playing around with singing and then joined the choir and then thought, you know, theater could be kind of fun and did, you know, little plays and stuff like that. I was, you know, nothing nothing that impressive. But for me as a super introvert, it wasn't about really having any confidence at all getting on stage. But when I did, if I was in a play, it wasn't really me, right? And I, you probably hear this from actors and things like that, um, many of whom I think are shy and introverted in their regular lives. Uh, I could get on stage and if I'm playing a part, I can kind of disassociate m- my fear and just be somebody else for a little while. And that, and that felt great. Um, in a million years, I never thought that would like take me on a communications track. In fact, when I was applying to colleges, I didn't know if I wanted to like be in a drama program or be in advertising, which is kind of weird. And I definitely made the right choice because I am not talented <laughs> enough to be on a Broadway stage or anything like that. Um, but I think having that exposure and as I grew confident just in growing old and having more experience, right? I think being able to do some public speaking or, you know, even things like this, I've had some experience, right? Having to stand up and be in front of people. But, you know, the first time I had to stand up and do a presentation at work, um, you know, I thought I was going to throw up, right? Even though I had been in, you know, plays and I had, you know, been in the lead roles on certain plays again in in middle school or even like in my college sorority, you know, um, did not prepare me for having to get up and and talk, you know, to a group of executives by any means that had to come through a lot of practice and sweating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you do such, you do it brilliantly. So you can definitely tell you've had the practice. I don't think so, but (laughs) you do. Can you, can you give our listeners some advice and some tips who are looking to either pursue communications, marketing, or even be part of that PR, you know, communications world? Yeah. I, I think the fun thing about marketing communications is there are so many disciplines. It's not really one size fits all. So figuring out what you are interested in or what you like is important and you have to do that by doing it right so it is tr- it is trial and error but you know i i spoke to uh someone recently at, at southern um who is in a rotation program and kind of looking for her next her next gig and she kind of said 
she came to me, you know, wanting to learn more about marketing. But as I spoke to her, it wasn't the writing and the creative execution of marketing that she really liked. It was really research and understanding, you know, buying behaviors and things like that. So that's a completely different discipline um, and a phenomenal career, right? That you can go off into, um, you know, investor relations can be a really incredible career. If you're really, if you have a great finance and strategy background, and there are really cool communications programs just associated with that, you know, then you have social media, right? You have digital advertising and marketing, you have employee communications, uh, which I think is probably a discipline that people don't think about a lot, but is a very, very exciting and fulfilling career in communications. Uh, PR and media relations events. There's just so many different things. So to me, if I was going to give someone advice, I always tell everyone kind of start where you think you want to be and take a job. Like don't sit around waiting for the perfect job. There's no such thing as a perfect job, uh, except for the one I have today, (laughs) but it took me, you know, 30 years to get here, but just try something. And every experience you have, you're going to get something out of it. Even if it's you figured out that you don't want to do that ever again and you move on to something else. So it's a little bit of trial and error and process of elimination. In a million years, I never thought I would do PR. When I was in college studying advertising, there was like a PR class that I didn't take because I thought PR was like fake and publicity and gross. Like I didn't really have any positive impressions of it. And then I just kind of happened to fall into it over time through this sort of lattice of my career and fell in love with it and how strategic it could be um, and how creative it could be. So I just think people need to try, you know, go out, do it, take from it what you can learn. And then, you know, it'll, it'll take you somewhere else. Absolutely. That's such good advice, you know, not to limit yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about what CSR is? I know that this is something that you, you are very passionate about and that you bring incredible energy to. So if folks don't know, what is it? Why, why is it important to a company and important to you? And what are some of the things that you've seen within CSR that really creates change? Yeah. Well, it's funny, CSR, which has a gazillion different definitions. It can sometimes stand for corporate social responsibility. It can sometimes stand for corporate sustainability. There's a lot of different things it can mean and and companies define it very differently. So I'll kind of define it the way we define it at Southern and how I came into it. When I worked my previous job, uh, I worked at Ryder, the transportation logistics company. Um, the charitable foundation was in the scope of my boss. And I got some exposure to how charitable foundations work and, and community relations and things like that. Uh, and really liked it. You know, I always felt like as a corporate communications person, whether I was working for a company or an agency, you know, it was a very capitalistic role, right? I am helping contribute in some way for a company to be successful and make money. And I always felt like, you know, and I had two little kids, I never felt like I spent enough time giving back on my own. So when I got exposed to community relations and charitable giving and corporate social responsibility, I thought, wow, that's actually something I could do at my job that has like a social positive benefit. That's not just about like helping a company sell something or make money or or provide a service. So 
that's kind of how I fell into it. It was almost, I guess, a little bit selfish, which is the opposite of, of, you know, giving back is because it, it, it fed something in me that I could feel good, that I was doing something good at work. Um, at Southern, our CSR program is multifaceted and we really focus on, uh, there is a charitable giving component. There is a volunteering program uh, component. We have incredibly passionate employee volunteers called volunteers. There's a DEI component, diversity, equity, inclusion component. Our team does not run DEI for the company, but we know that there's great connectivity between giving back and promoting diversity um, in the community. So we work hand in hand. Um, and then, you know, there's disaster relief that we get involved in, community relations we get involved in, responsibility in terms of being in the alcohol business and prevention of underage drinking. So those are kind of the the main programs that we focus on at Southern. Uh, and it's great. It's great that the company, that this is so important to the company that they not only invest in a couple members on our team to be thinking about this all day, but invest in programs and resources to actually make a difference in the community, whether it's through our volunteering and giving activities, whether it's promoting, you know, responsible drinking programs in high schools and things like that. It's, it's really, really very fulfilling. And it's one of the things that when I get to spend a portion of my day doing, it just feels really great. And I know our team, Bridget, you included, are like super passionate about how we can incorporate CSR into everything we do, even if it's something on social media or something that's more marketing related, right? Like a Tales of the Cocktail, we wanted to make sure we had a CSR component. So it's like a filter. We always look at everything and it's it makes what we do very fulfilling in addition to adding value to the company. Absolutely. And I think that that's what keeps us here, you know, right. a lot of days, you know, um, the day-to-day -day is not boring, folks. <laughs> all. It's always changing. And we are given space to really charge those things that we're passionate about. It's incredible. Yeah. And one of the things that you just mentioned was, you know, being part of communications, being part of the PR engine of SGWS, or in really um, most large companies, part of that responsibility is you know, talking about disasters, talking about um, conflicts in the world, almost being part of like a newsroom, mm -hmm. right? Can I ask you, you know, I would like to ask you what that experience is like for you when there is a disaster and you have to maybe pull together, um, you know, something that's very tangible for the company and then how it affects you personally as well with especially some of the conflicts that have come out, you know, like, for instance, with Hamas and Israel and SGWS is a Jewish owned company. Mm -hmm. And they came out with a powerful statement. And I would love to hear what that was like for you behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll answer in two parts, because the first part just about general disaster relief, I want to cover because I think it's something this company is really incredible about. And it has gotten me very emotional at times when I've seen how we've responded. So the first thing about disaster relief, obviously, when it affects our communities directly, whether it's our actual business or where our employees live, um, we've got an incredible process to respond to that and make sure that our employees are taken care of. 
And while we have formal processes and things like that, that include HR and finance, which is great. What I have seen behind the scenes at Southern is if somebody uh, has been the victim of a natural disaster and needs help, this company acts fast and errs on the side of caution and is not so worried about you know waiting for them to get the insurance receipts and claims and things like that. But how can we make sure this person is safe, has a place to stay, has food, has clothes? Um, and that's not only at the leadership level, but it also happens from the market level. So sometimes it's not even driven by like our department being, you know, in charge of disaster relief or, you know, being responsible for helping support. It comes from an employee reaching out and saying, Hey, this thing happened. Did you even know about this? Can, what can we do? How can we help our employees? Um, you know, and that, that's kind of one area. Then when disasters happen in other places in the world, Again, sometimes before anyone on my team can even send a note to someone, you know, in the executive leadership team and say, hey, should we be doing something? I am usually hearing from an employee saying, I want to, how can I help? What can we do? Even in markets that we don't, op- you know, we don't operate, right? Um, our employees come up fast uh, when those things happen and, and want to support. So that, that's just really incredible. That's something in the culture here that I've probably not seen in any company I've ever worked for that I think is really special. Um, and then you, you know, you brought up the Hamas, um, issue too, and you and I have talked about this, right? I am Jewish as well. Um, and that, you know, affected me very, very personally, obviously, you know, when there have been other issues that affect uh, people of certain races or religious backgrounds, right? We went through it with George Floyd and and that social uprising. And I got to talk to a lot of Black colleagues of mine and, and, and friends and saw how affected they were, right? And that affected me. You know, this conflict affects me personally, just as a Jewish woman, as a mother, not even touching on the political aspects of it, right? When you see uh, people suffering um, and the the rise in anti-Semitism is really scary when you're when you experience it, right? I had experienced anti-Semitism on and off my whole life. Um, even though some people don't always know I'm Jewish, I my first husband was not Jewish. My last name doesn't sound Jewish, Haas. Um, my current husband is not Jewish. Um, so, you know, some, sometimes people don't know that I'm Jewish, so they will say things in front of me that are anti-Semitic because they don't even know to like watch themselves. And to this day, even though I feel like I've grown in confidence in a lot of other areas in my career, if I'm in a room and someone says something, it instantly makes me want to like crawl under a rock. Like I, I still don't know exactly how to handle it because it's sometimes so shocking to have somebody say something. Um, and, you know, being Jewish, it's sad. I don't know why, um, there's so much hatred for Jewish people throughout history. I I don't have any explanation for it. Uh, I know like some of the statistics that have come out since the terrorist attack on Israel that I didn't even know, like from the FBI, I think they were saying like, uh, Jewish people represent 2% of the U S population, but also are 85% of all victims of hate in the country is like bizarre to me. Um, and uh, so it's been, it's been really heartbreaking um, and challenging, but you know, there's a lot of great support 
it's the first time I've worked for a company that has Jewish ownership. So I probably feel more safe and protected here than I would have if I'd been at another organization, right? Because I just know the leaders, I know exactly how they feel because I know how I'm feeling. So that's kind of a, a unique experience um, and, and a helpful experience. And just like in other times when other groups have been affected by hate, whether it's, you know, Asian Americans or Black Americans, you know, the company has stood up and, and not only made statements, but um, taken action in terms of whether it's even funding causes to help support. And they did it again this time. And I wasn't surprised that they did. And I was thrilled that they did. And it's great to work for a company that is not afraid to do that because now going back to my role as a, in a communications, as a communications person, when you are counseling leaders, whether it's here at Southern or other companies, right? I've done this before. When you're coming out as a company taking a stand on a social issue, um, it's very scary. And there's always going to be people who disagree with that stand that you're taking. And there can be blowback in various ways, whether it's nastiness on social or whether it's boycotts or whatever of those things are. Um, and so it's uh, a fine line to figure out what is the right place for a company to take that stand and what makes sense. And I think the most important thing is once you cross that line and decide you're going to be a company that does that, you have to be consistent. You can't kind of pick and choose um, the issues that you want to be in front of. So I think that's something that I've seen in the past seven and a half years that Southern has done very well. And, and the, the maturity continuum of knowing how to do that and being consistent about it, um, I, I think is something that we've gotten a lot better at, but it's, it's interesting as the communications person, because sometimes you're telling folks, I don't think this is right for us to say, or, or this isn't one issue where we need to be in front, or this is an issue where we need to be very vocal. Um, you know, I do have a role in that, but I try not to let my personal feelings about anything dictate that. And that's something that I, I feel like is an area of integrity that I hold pretty dear is I'm not looking at the issue from how I feel about it. I'm looking at it because my job really is to counsel the company and what's best for the company to do. Yeah. And you do it so beautifully and with grace. And I have so much respect for you um, for the job that you go in and you do it. And then you're also, you know, taking a moment here on Served Up to be vulnerable about your your personal journey through it, which yeah. is incredible. And I think it will inspire um, so many. I know it inspires me. Right. Um, yeah, the I one think... thing I the one thing I would add to that, because this is a discussion in the communications world, you know, all the time. I think if your compass is always set on what is the right thing to do, usually the answer is is easier, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the the simplest answer is just doing the right thing and not making it so complex. And that's kind of, I think, how we try to think about those topics. Yeah. And you do it so great. And, you know, I think one of the things that you just said was um, consistency is key. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I think people that... will see right through that, right? If you come out on one issue and then you're very quiet on another one, like, you know, mm -hmm. so that's why when you make that decision to finally step out, you're kind of saying going forward, this is who we are. Like we have to do this now all the time. Yeah. And what, what great advice for individuals, not just corporate America, but for individuals as well. Man, you know, I wish I would have had that advice when I was in my 20s yeah. or I would have been not scared or could have been emboldened, right? Right. To speak out 
and to stand on your two feet and to be consistent with your messaging. So I think it's just a beautiful message all the way around. Well, it's easy to do once we get to our age that we are now of maturity, right? You, I think there's confidence that that comes with that too, that helps. It's very difficult for someone if you're 21, 22 and you know, out in the world or out in the workforce to have just to have that confidence naturally. Some people do. Um, I admire those people, um, you know, but I think the confidence that I got to do that, I had to just like practice over time. And it just, it came from, you know, various experiences. Well, only because you brought it up. I want to shift because it wouldn't be right. A conversation with Cindy and I, for those that you don't know, mm-hmm. um, we must talk about menopause in the workplace. We must. We have to right. talk about menopause in the workplace. We do. Because the M word was much like the F word right. back in the day. Right. Um, I can tell you folks that, and I've been vulnerable on this show before talking about menopause, but it is so important for females, especially female leaders to talk about it. You know, recently, I know you watched it. I watched it, a recent comedy special on Netflix with Wanda Sykes. I won't go into it, but it is hilarious. Yeah, a must watch. Everybody immediately put that on your your to-do list. And just to frame it up a little bit, how it affects us in the workplace. Like I'm not even gonna go in the personal yeah. Um, down that rabbit hole because that's a whole yeah. other show. But let's talk about how it affects us as women at our age in the workplace, our day to day. I can tell you that I'm sweating right now and about to take off my sweater <laughs> and then I'll be putting it on in 15 minutes from now because then I get the chills. But I have to say, I'm very impressed with myself that I have not had a hot flash since we started the conversation, which probably means I'm going to trigger it right now. But I, I'm very excited that I've gotten through this conversation so far without having one. Well, let's just talk about how God awful it is first and what those symptoms look like for those who aren't in it already and how it affects your work, you know, how you try not to let it affect your work. Yeah, it is God awful. You know, for me, you know, there's a million different um, symptoms of menopause. I think it affects everybody differently. Luckily, I haven't lost my mind yet. That might be coming. Um, But I have heard many women who like they step out of their house and they get into their car and they're like, where am I and where am I going? Luckily, I haven't had that, but the hot flashes are um, probably one of the worst physical things I've ever experienced in my life because you cannot control them. Um, and I'm up all night with them. Um, and I have Bridget seen it. I have a menopause fan that looks like a sexual implement just because of the color and shape of it. But it, I literally can't go anywhere without it. And, you know, being at work, right? Like I'm in an office. Luckily, I have a door. I can close my door. Literally, there are days when I absolutely do want to completely take off my clothes. And there have been times I have run into the bathroom and like ripped my shirt off into the bathroom because I felt like I was going to literally like combust. Um, and you know, when you're on like a Zoom call, you can kind of hide it. I've done this before, right? I, you know, I tell everyone if I'm on a Zoom call and all of a sudden you see my hair blowing like Beyonce, it's probably because I'm having a hot flash and I, I have my fan kind of below the camera you know, giving me this fabulous uh, Beyonce uh, vibe, but it's, you know, cause I'm sweating, but, you know, I have been on panel discussions at conferences when it's hit, you know, I've been in meetings with senior executives and groups of employees where I'm sitting at the end of a conference table. And I'm literally like, no, that you can see the sweat coming through my shirt and you're trying not to like get up and make a scene 
And, you know, luckily in some environments, right, if I'm with some women or with, you know, colleagues who are also friends like you, Bridget, we can, I can say, oh my God, like I need to get up for a minute or whatever. But, you know, you don't want to be in a um, important meeting, right? And you disrupt the whole meeting with your own thing. Um, but it, it's very hard to suffer in silence, right? If you can't like just take out a fan and start blowing yourself, wondering if this is going to disrupt the whole meeting and people are going to like wonder what you're doing and then have that uncomfortable moment of where do you have to actually say menopause in front of a group of peep strangers, right? I personally don't care. I tell everybody because like, what's the point? I, I don't know. That's who I am. Um, I kind of say whatever comes to mind, but um, I, I do think people need to realize that women are suffering in silence at work all over the place, uh, whether they're alone in their office or they're in a meeting and just please give us grace because we wouldn't want anyone, you know, who we wouldn't want any man to have to go through this <laughs> and certainly, you know, certainly um, wouldn't wish this on, on anybody. But yeah, the hot flashes are are a killer. Um, I wake up every morning looking like I've run a marathon. Oh my God. Same. same. Yeah. And it's not just the hot flashes too. It's also like the brain fog. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I want to talk just a little bit about that because that's, um, I know I suffer from it horribly. You'll, you know, I'll have conversations all day long and be like, I don't remember that word, <laughs> you know, and I feel like, you know, what is happening? I'm losing my marbles and it takes yeah. me like a minute, but it is because of menopause. It affects um, you physically. I know yeah. it has affected my, my body for sure. Right. Yeah. And the hot flashes, my God, it is like you have the sun coming up from, in your, your from inside your body, from inside your body, <laughs> from your hoo-ha all the way up to your breast, yeah. to your yeah, brain, yeah. steam yeah. coming out of your ears and yeah, every yeah. part of you is sweating. Yeah, it is yeah. that fun folks. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I so literally turn, um, I turn red. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know if other, like I still have a little rosacea. So I sometimes turn red anyways, like I get flushed. So if I have a hot flash, like you can see me change color, even on a Zoom call, I will it's literally horrible. change. Like if I'm looking at myself, I'm like, oh my God, I literally look red as a beat. I must look ridiculous to everybody else now. But yeah, the brain fog, I definitely have not as bad. I, sometimes I, you know, actually after having COVID twice, I almost felt like I had COVID brain. So now I'm not sure if I have remnant COVID brain or a little bit of menopause brain. It all sucks. That's all I'm going to say. It all, it all sucks. But um, yeah, just trying to keep it all together here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, something that you just said, like, uh, yeah, talk about it, right? Don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be embarrassed. We all go through it. And I know that there's resources out there. I don't think there's any magic pill. You cannot avoid yeah. it. But no, you can I find coping he, mechanisms. Here, yeah, here at Southern, um, I saw when we got our benefits enrollment this past round, I like was so excited because I opened up that brochure to kind of flip through and we have a menopause. It's like through, I think it's through Maven. There's a menopause program. And I was like, hell yeah, like somebody knows about it. And I thought that was so friggin' cool. I haven't taken advantage of it yet, but um. I need to do some more research there. But like, I was just excited that somebody even recognized that's like support that we need. So it was very yeah, cool. the fact that um, our company is even talking about it, you guys, I mean, it's huge. 
I know Bridget, you and I think maybe was it you and I that were joking? We have all these great cheers groups that are diversity groups. And we, you know, there's cheers to black excellence and cheers to women. I don't know what our menopause group could be called cheers to sweating or (laughs) whatever, but if you're interested, I I would love to start a a support group for all us ladies. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in because this is something that, you know, I, we deal with every single day. And yeah, for me, I'm about 10 years in and I don't see any end of it in sight. Which sucks. <laughs> it's just, yeah, we're not getting any younger here. <laughs> no, no. And this is what happened. So I, I thank you, you know, for spending a minute with me <laughs> on that topic. <laughs> it honestly comes up every time we speak. So it's, yeah. it, it does. <laughs> Hard you know, to that, avoid. Yes. Yeah. That topic does. And then as well as being a mother, which I yes. do want to, you know, touch on a bit because you're this incredible mother for those who know Cynthia just Cindy just like a little bit personally you know sees the care the thoughtfulness um, that she puts into being a mom to her children and the just the incredible support that you give them can you talk to our listeners what it's like you know being a a mother in corporate America and how how you really and I don't love the word balance because I don't believe in it at all. But how are you able to make sure that you're able to keep that part of your life the most important over everything else? Because you do it. I see you do it. Yeah. And I think that you have great wisdom to share. Well, I'm an empty nester now, so I could say I have survived it. So I'm in a whole new phase. But I think being a mom is my number one favorite thing in the whole world of anything. It's like, I don't really identify um, in terms of my career or whatever. I literally, if you ask me like one word to describe myself, I'm a mom. I love my kids. I think they're amazing, of course. Um, but man, it was hard. Uh, when I started out my career, I didn't really make a ton of money. And, um, you know, first having to figure out the daycare situation. And I was lucky at the job that I had when I had my son. 24 years ago, had a kind of a daycare near the facility that was affiliated and actually that was financially supported by the company. So it was affordable. It was great. But you know, you have to leave at a certain time to pick up your kid. Otherwise, they will fine you. And you know, I had to leave at a certain time every day. And I definitely had had bosses who were looking at the time clock. And if I was you know, late to work because of a major accident on the turnpike, I still had to leave at a certain time to pick up my kid, right? And had pe- and to have to be watched, you know, for that kind of thing is crazy. Um, I eventually got to the point where um, I had uh, nannies. Um, and that sounds like super glamorous. Um, and that I was wealthy enough to have a nanny, I definitely could afford a nanny, but it was at the detriment of me having any disposable income whatsoever. I spent every cent of disposable income because of my job. I could no longer just leave, you know, especially as I got into PR and worked, I could not just leave to go pick up my kid. I needed to have that childcare. My ex-husband also worked. So we were a family with, you know, two working parents. Um, so it was, you know, it was a challenging financial time because literally like we, we didn't go out to eat. We did nothing because every last cent that I made had to go into having some childcare that allowed me to work. Um, I could write a book on nanny experiences, um, you know, having people not show up, having people leave because they wanted to go get boob jobs and, and, you know, quit their jobs, you know, people who 
didn't speak the same language, like you name it. I've, I've, that was a nightmare. And, and it was always stressful. Like if your childcare doesn't show up, right. Looking at your spouse and who, who's the one that gets, has to make the sacrifice that day that creates tension in a, in a marriage. You know, if someone feels like, well, my job's more important, so I have to go to work and you have to stay home, right? It's really, really challenging. Um, and then just being there for your kids and knowing that, you know, there's a sacrifice you're going to make every day. You're going to either have to sacrifice something at work because you need to do something for your child. You're going to have to sacrifice something for your child because you have to do something at work. You're going to have to sacrifice something for your spouse. And the way I thought about balance, I agree there wasn't one, is every day... I just had to feel good about the choice I was making for what I was sacrificing that day. And also, but keeping my priorities straight, right? Where if something got way too out of balance, which at one of my jobs, it did, where the sacrifice every day was my family and my health. Well, that's that's not balance. The only work-life balance is, is balancing the sacrifices. You know, so you got to know where those boundaries are. So uh, I feel really good that I've made it to this point. I've got a son who's, working and and supporting himself and a daughter in college. So it's just me and my husband now. And it it really, honestly, it's been so interesting as much as I miss my kids. And they literally are the first people I think of the second I wake up in the morning and the last people I think of before I go to bed. But there is a little bit of interesting freedom that comes from knowing that if I just really want to focus on my career and my, you know, spousal relationship, I can do that because I don't have that other pressure pulling me every second because my kids are great and they're like taking care of themselves. So I feel like I, woohoo, I made it. You definitely made it. You exceeded <laughs> you beyond <laughs> making it. And really quickly, you know, I just, I would love our listeners to know what you do for fun. Oh my God. I love to exercise. That's a not only a self-care thing for me, but I actually enjoy it. So I'm like a Peloton freak. I could probably, I should be a spokesperson for them. Um, I do different Peloton activities every day. I love to read books. Uh, I'm a voracious reader. Um, my husband and I like to listen to live music. Got to give a plug to my husband's band, People You Know here in Miami, an amazing rock and roll band um, that he does on the side when he's not working. but. Um, you know, being married to him has been really fun uh, because we he he's brought sort of more of that music enjoyment back to my life that I used to have when I was little in theater, right? And that I kind of walked away from for a while. Um, and, you know, we really honestly just love like being with family. That's, that's our favorite thing, going out to dinner with my parents or when we have kids in town, we're, we're pretty chill. Um, you know, we like to try to travel too. Every year we like to take a pretty cool trip somewhere we haven't been. Um, and that's been a fun thing for us to do together. So, you know, I don't have any really weird hobbies. Um, I, I, to me, I like if things are boring, that means it's good. Too much excitement can sometimes not be a good thing. So I'm good when things are just chill and boring. Well, you are far from chill and you're, you are not, you are very chill. I shouldn't say that you are very chill, but you're not boring. Thank you. At all. <laughs> Tell that to my kids. Tell that to my kids. I think I'm boring. <laughs> Can you leave us with um, one last piece of advice? Sure. I just, you know, I think a lot about the world today. Um, and, you know, the only thing I can think about that I would want to impart is just, you know, whether you're solving a problem at work, you're solving a solution at home, you're 
being out in the world is if your compass is always what's the right thing to do, it just makes decisions so much easier. If you don't know what to say to someone, just say like, what's the right thing? You know, if you don't know how to solve a problem, what what's the right thing? If If you use that as your compass, kind of those solutions will come and um, things that seem complex and, and overwhelming all of a sudden become clear. And I like to really think about that and how I interact with people and, you know, personally at work and in the things I do is I really just try to focus on what is the, what is the right thing. And I want to be that person that that you know, whether you're dealing with me, you know, on a personal level at work, you know, that the things I'm doing are because I'm driven by doing the right thing. Yeah. And, thank and if, you. More, if more people did that, we'd be in a much better, happier world. 100%. <laughs> well, with that, Cindy, I just want to wish you some great health and a lot of peace. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on Served Up. Cheers thank to you. you. Thank you, Bridget. Was the most fun hour plus I've had in a long time. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.